Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. I made it. Ah, it is good to be here with you guys and just to, just to be with um, people I consider friends and even family. And I want to, again, acknowledge our mothers today, but I had written a little something that I wanted to share um, just because I know this day can sometimes be a bittersweet day. Um, so here is just a, a short thought I want to share for, uh, for all the women here, um, wherever you are. This Mother's Day, like every other, greets us with flowers and pastels, sappy greeting cards reminding us to cherish moms everywhere. We pause to reflect on those who have sacrificed and mothered, loved through sleepless nights and temper tantrums and teenage trials. For the mothers knee-deep in diapers and homework, appointments and playdates, we raise a coffee to you. We acknowledge the outpouring of your love and the daily unseen mothering. But behind the bouquets of peonies and roses, we see also the ones longing yet to be mothers, those whose hearts break after yet another pregnancy test or grieve a child lost from the womb. And the families who have lost mothers or mothers who have lost children too soon, the foster mothers who have mothered another's child for a time and then are in a season of saying goodbye. Perhaps for you, the pink and the petals seem to mock you a little bit, leaving fresh reminders of your loss. Or maybe you have children today that are, are grown and flown from the nest, and still you mother, perhaps the hardest season of all, parenting adult children. Maybe you feel overlooked Maybe you miss the handprint cards and the dandelion bouquets. And on this Mother's Day, I want to say that wherever you are and whoever you are, it is okay to come just as you are. It is okay to not be okay. And it is okay to need to be celebrated and seen today. Women everywhere, we see you in your beauty and your mess, in your love and your loss, in your hopes and your disappointments. You are seen and valued and I cannot erase the depth of your pain with words, and I cannot celebrate you enough. But I can acknowledge the strength and beauty that you hold. And may you know today that you're not alone, and there is space for you. God, I thank you that you are both a good father and have the heart of a mother, and that you see and hold space for every person here, no matter who they are or where they are. And so my prayer is, um, even as we go into teaching today and listen uh, for you to speak to us, God, um, that we would know that you see us and you hold us right where we are. Um, may everyone just feel your presence as we are here today. We love you. Amen. So today, we are continuing a series called um, How to Deal with Difficult People. And I assure you, mothers, that this is not directed at you, okay? I told Tom, really? I've got to speak about this on Mother's Day. That just, moms are already second-guessing themselves. So no, this is not directed at you, I promise. Um, but really, this message that Tom's been going through the last couple of weeks um, 
We've been talking not only about different difficult people, like he's talked about critics, he's talked about the talkers, the braggers, the boasters, the people that we may encounter that can, that can leave us derailed and discouraged in our lives. But Tom has not just been talking about how we deal with these people, but honestly reflecting on our own hearts and asking, you know, have I been a, this, this kind of person? How can, I, how can I be a constructively critical person? How can I... Um, acknowledge my own heart. And we've been going through kind of the fruit of the Spirit and asking God to produce his fruit in our lives. And so today, we, we talked about the critics. We talked about the, um, again, the braggers, the, the one-uppers. And today, uh, we are going to be talking about... Um, oh, hold on. Sorry, I got to get this. Hello? Oh, oh where are you? Babe, it's Mother's Day. Are you not? You're not coming today. Oh, oh, oh! I am. Sh- I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that one of the kids flushed your car key down the toilet. Yeah, that sounds totally made up. You, you know, no, you know what? Nope, nope. I, I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because, to be honest, you're you're just being such a guy right now. And I just I know you want to sabotage today. And you're always. This is just. You're so selfish. And to be honest, I am in the middle of a very inspiring message right now, so I've got to go. Yeah, we'll talk later. Gosh. Can you believe that? <laughs> Who are we talking about today? The assumers. The assumers. For the three of you that are still wondering, that was a fake, that was a fake phone call. <laughs> My poor husband's going to show up and be like, why is everyone mad at me? (laughs) So I want you to think for a minute about the last time you were in a situation where someone was making an assumption about you. How did it make you feel? Maybe you felt uh, overlooked. Maybe you felt completely unheard, like your voice did not matter. Um, Maybe it made you feel powerless or helpless, especially if that person making an assumption is someone like a, a boss someone like a teacher that has authority over you and you're like, great, he told me I was cheating on my test. What am I, I who is, who's going to believe me, right? People that, that make assumptions about us can just make us feel like our voice does not matter and that we are not seen. A lot of times, assumers are people who, who only see one perspective and that seems to be theirs. They often do not listen, like my phone call revealed. Oh, they may even say, nope, nope, I don't want to hear it. I, save it. Right, they're going to shut down the conversation. A lot of times we just think, if they could just, even if I did screw up, even if I, you know, I know I should have done better, but if they could just put themselves in my shoes for one minute. And so an assumer basically takes a story that has gaps in it that they don't know all the answers to or all the the details to, and they fill in the, the gaps with their own story and their own perspective. And in some ways, I think we all do this somewhat because we're story-driven people. We love stories. We connect to good stories. Um, I'm trying to, to write a, a fiction book that's taken me years, but I'm learning more and more as I write this that there's different ways you can present a story. Sometimes you have like an omniscient narrator, and this narrator knows every piece of the story. They know all the characters, what the characters are thinking, their motives. They see it all. But often, instead, you have more of like a first-person narrative. You have maybe through the eyes of the main character in the story. And so in that case, the reader only knows what that main character knows. They only know their, their story, their thoughts, their perspective. 
And whether we realize it or not, we, we all are like that. We all are looking through our eyes, through our perspective, and we're often telling a narrative or a story about other people through our own lens. Sometimes we need to learn how to expand our perspective to really understand people. Um, raise your hand, maybe kids in this room today or adults. Have you seen the movie Hoodwinked? The animated movie Hoodwinked. I liked it before I had kids, so I don't know what that says about me. But, um, but basically, it is, Hoodwinked is the retelling of the story of Little Red Riding Hood. And so Little Red Riding Hood, she goes to see her grandmother. When she gets there, she discovers this crazy crime scene has happened. And so there is basically the, the uh, Little Red Riding Hood gets there, and there's a, a, a police chief. And the chief is looking at all the, care, the suspects, and he says, okay, we're going to figure out who committed this crime. And of course, in the story of Little Red Riding Hood, who does everyone think is the, the bad guy? The big bad wolf. Yes, everyone immediately assumes it's his fault. But what happens is, one by one, the wolf tells his story. Turns out he's just a nice journalist, totally, you know, not, not there to bother anybody. And then you've got Red, she tells her story, and then there's this crazy yodeling woodsman. And then you've got the granny who turns out to be living a double life as like an extreme sport. I don't know, she's, she's snowboarding, she's off the rails a little bit. Um, but through finding out each story, it's only then that, that the chief is able to understand the truth of what actually happened. Often, again, we can create assumptions because we only have access to one story and we need to learn to hear other people's side. Which brings me to a second thing about people who assume is often we don't just make assumptions about what happened. We tend to also judge why someone did something, right? We tend to make an assumption about the motive of someone's heart. Um, so it's not just, oh, you, you, you were here late, but you were here late because you're, you're lazy, you're selfish. Um, maybe we judge someone's character we, we assume things about them based on what they're doing. And I want to go back for a minute because we, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And if, if you remember, I know Tom had us say it out loud together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Um, and I want us just to think about something for a second, though. There's a, a book I was reading recently called A Church Called Tove by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. And it says this, each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is also an act of resistance against the acts of the flesh described in verses 19 through 21. Each act of the fruit of the Spirit is also an act of resistance. I love that idea because it kind of gives us the this, this sense that not only are we, when we allow God's Spirit to work in us and to produce good fruit in us, not only is it taking us towards goodness, but it is allowing us to resist the opposite. And so I want to think about for a second, um, if we think about assumptions, we might not think that it's that big a deal, right? But where is it leading us? Is it leading us towards the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience? Or is it perhaps leading us towards the, the things listed in verses 19 through 21, which include hatred, discord, jealousy, dissensions, factions, fits of rage? And I think a lot of times we, we think of, of assumptions or are these other difficult behaviors in people as just little sins, if a sin at all. 
But I think we need to realize that those sins grow. Those, those sins become patterns in our life if left unchecked. And so we need to let the Spirit daily check our hearts so those little sins do not grow and create destruction in our lives. James 1, 14 through 15 reminds us of this. It says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so again, if we think about the idea of assumptions, maybe they start out as just a little assumption with your, with your spouse, with your kids, with whoever, but then it begins to grow, and it eventually may turn into prejudice, right? Where maybe you, maybe you start assuming about whole groups of people and just making blanket statements about, oh, they're always like, or these people are always... And it's almost, my husband, my husband made a really good analogy this, this week. He said it's almost like we have a file. If there was a file that represented all of, of a person, everything you've done, everything that you are, everything you think, all your emotions, and all of who you are is in that file. And when we make assumptions, it's like we pull one page out of that file and we say, oh, Republican, I know everything I need to know about you. Or Democrat, well, well say no more. All right, and so we label that file with the one thing from the one page and we make these assumptions about people. I got a little bit into prejudice in my phone call, right? I said, you're such a guy, right? When we start making these broad statements or stereotypes, that, that can be a sign that our, our little assumptions are growing into something bigger. The less we understand someone, the less we have access to the story, the more assumptions we make, right? The less we have access to someone's story, the more assumptions we make. And it is why it is so critical for us to learn how to engage with other people. Because ultimately, if I were to say, like, here's a little assumption on this end, and then way over here, the extreme end of assumptions, I would say, is bigotry, right? Because bigotry is when, is when someone is so entrenched in their view and their belief that they cannot hear someone else. They cannot ever think that they're wrong. Um, often, in fact, they take prejudice and they use it as, as an excuse to discriminate, to use um, harmful words or even harmful actions towards other groups. And again, I don't think anyone would challenge the idea that being a bigot is sinful, and yet I don't think it's something that, we just, that just happens one day. I don't think we wake up one day and say, oh, you know, my two lifelong dreams were to you know, go to Juilliard and be a bigot, and today's the day. Today, I'm going to do it. Right? It, I think it happens slowly, and we don't always realize how, how, our, how our little actions are growing and affecting us. And sometimes I think even when we look at people like, like someone who's really bigoted and really prejudiced, and we can say, you know what, I would never be like that. I would never do that. And sometimes I think it keeps us from realizing the issues in our own hearts that God wants to deal with. In fact, if I'm honest, you know, what, I think one of the things that's hard for me about someone who acts in bigoted ways is that usually they're dehumanizing someone else. They're justifying actions by, by making someone be of less worth, less value. And yet God has convicted me because there's been times when I look at people like that and I think, you know, man, I hope they get what's coming to them. And in, in some ways, subtly, I start to think, man, they're less. They're less than other people. And maybe, maybe, good, maybe bad things should happen to them. And so I think God is reminding me, listen, no matter who you are, maybe, maybe it's easiest to judge the judgers. Maybe it's easiest to make assumptions about the assumers. And even there, God says, I want you to check your heart. Just like kids on the playground that Tom talked about last week, how in some ways we're all still big kids, right? The playground has changed, he said. But, um, you know, I, I look at kids sometimes that are like... 
You're like, why did you hit your sister? Well, she started it. He started it. And I think God says, no. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Just because someone else does something that's wrong doesn't mean it's a justification for you to act poorly, for you to make assumptions about them. And so I have to be careful not to diminish other people and dehumanize them. And I'm not saying it's okay to be bigoted. I'm not saying that, that uh, it justifies someone else's actions. But as Tom said, this is not just about other people. It's about examining our own hearts, letting God work in us. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to remember that we are not in control of someone else. We are only in control of us. Um, I shared this story before, so I'll just do the summary version, but there was a time when I was at McDonald's with my kids, and we were rushing out in the dark in the rain, trying to get back to the car, and I, I pulled out my van key to unlock the door. I sat there like an idiot trying to unlock the door, and it wasn't working, and you've probably, if you've heard the story, you know, I realized it was not my van. I was sitting there trying to open someone else's van with my car key. My car was like two spaces over, so we figured it out. I went over, it was, everything worked out fine. But God gave me this clear image at that time that me trying to control other people is just as crazy as me trying to use my car key on someone else's car. God is wanting to work self-control in us. He wants to, uh, to, his spirit wants to come and convict us and lead us and guide us so we have self-control even if you do all the right things, even if you say all the right things and you never make assumptions about other people, that doesn't mean that everyone else will do what they're supposed to do. And that's hard. But God still says, I've called you to be responsible for you. And so in light of that, what are some ways that we can make sure we're pointing our remote at ourselves and not at other people? And I would say, you know what they say about people who assume? So if we don't want to be people who assume, it takes an ask out of you and me. Cheesiest thing I'm going to say all day, and I'm not even apologizing because it's probably the only thing you'll remember. So to not be someone who assumes takes an ask out of you and me. I'm so careful not to say the other word. Um, so ask, what do I mean by that? We're going to start with A. A is for ask questions. Learn to, uh, to assume, if anything, if you're going to assume anything, assume you don't have the whole story. I have a friend, I laughed, that she said, she said whenever she sees someone speeding or like cuts her off in traffic, she's like, I just assume that they, are, they have a wife in labor and they are headed there because like, you know, for her, then it's like, okay, fine, I can justify that. Um, Ask questions. Think about even the times that you are most likely to make assumptions. Okay, for me, it's, it's, when, I'm, it's when I'm frustrated. It is when I'm irritated. When I'm feeling happy and joyful, I, I don't tend to make a lot of assumptions about other people. But it's, you know, it's when there's something broken in my house and I'm like, oh, which kid did this? And I bet it was you. When I, have, when I have a moment where there's a miscommunication with my spouse or with a friend and suddenly like the, the emotions are running high, that is when the, the assumptions start coming. And maybe for you, it's, it's, I don't know if it's fear or if it's anger, whatever that trigger is for you, think about that. And when you have those, those moments, I would encourage you just to stop, to pause for a minute and think in your mind, what do I not know? Maybe I don't know the person's backstory. Maybe I don't know what they've been going through. Is today the crappiest day of their life? Are they dealing with something, grief or loss that I'm not aware of? Am I only getting part of the story? Am I looking at the story just through my lens? 
Maybe, maybe I just don't know the person's motivation or motives. Um, I was planning on talking about this message uh, before this happened, and I, I was like, you know, I'm going to teach people about assuming. And then I, I feel like God was like, I will now teach you about assuming. So he very graciously gave me um, one, of those, one of those stories you wish you didn't have to deal with. You know, um, I had this moment where I, I just had a really bad day. And it was between three and f- like four o'clock. It was just really rough timing. And then I get this phone call from someone as I'm on my way out the door trying to take my kids somewhere. And the person was basically like, why aren't you, why aren't you doing this? What's going on? You're dropping the ball, basically. And I just kind of lost it. I was like, this person does not see me. They don't understand. They don't get it. And I felt so frustrated. And I, I kind of just had to like let them go and so I could get out the door. And my initial response was to want to like write this massive email that thankfully my husband saved me from. Um, but basically like, but you don't understand. And by the way, and also another thing. And I feel like in, in space, God gave me a little space and I was finally able to talk to this other person a little bit. Well, come to find out, no, they didn't know my story. They didn't know what I was going through. But I actually had no idea something else that was going on in their life, in their world, that was partly what was triggering their response to me. And it was only in stepping back and being able to hear their side of the story. It didn't change that it was, that it was hurtful to me initially, but it allowed me then to get perspective and to, and to gain someone else's Um, thoughts. I think it's so important that we do that. Take some space. Ask ourselves what we're missing. What does this look look like even on like social media, right? It's so easy to get into these arguments, these back and forth and make assumptions about people. Um, And one thing I've noticed on, on Facebook, especially, or social media, is when we don't like someone, when we like, when we're like, I am just done with you, we have this cancel culture reaction where we can just unfollow, unlike, unfriend, and yeah, there, there's a time. There's a time where we have to find boundaries for ourselves and not, and not have toxic perspectives in our life. But there's other times where if we're honest, if we're canceling out everyone who doesn't see the way we do, what are we left with? People who think just like we do. And so what we're doing is narrowing that perspective that we have access to. Maybe it's not online. Maybe, maybe you even look at your friend circles. Do you tend to find people who, who generally think and act and behave like you do or generally come from the same background? How can we find ways to diversify? Several years ago, after the death of Trayvon Martin, I remember feeling convicted for myself about wanting to understand racial issues more and really getting a perspective that I wasn't um, always getting. And so I went to this uh, racial discussion group at the Harriet Beecher Stowe Center. And man, I remember sitting there and um, I, I want to be better about this, but this was one of the few times where I was a minority. And I thought people have to, people are in, in their lives maybe a minority every single day and have to experience this every day. And, and I didn't have to, but there I was and I was a minority and I was listening to people share their stories and I was listening um, to people talk about racial profiling and police discrimination. And I realized I had nothing to say. I had nothing to add to that conversation. And all I could do is listen to another perspective. How often do we put ourselves in situations where we just listen? Where we just say, I don't know, I don't know your story and I just want to hear it without, without challenging, without arguing. And I want to be better about that. And I want to challenge us as a church to be better about that as well. 
Maybe you're not ready to go into a public group like that, but you can start with, with reading people from different, you know, different books, different authors, someone from a different gender, race, or background. Maybe, maybe you diversify your podcast list. Maybe listen to someone who's a little more liberal or a little more conservative than you are. Just, just to keep your mind aware of other perspectives. And aside from gaining other perspective from people, I think asking good questions reminds us that at core, we can never know someone's heart. We can never know the motives that they have. Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In other words, guys, have you ever had a moment where you're like, someone's like, why did you do that? And you're like, I don't even know. I couldn't tell you why I did that. I'd like... Sometimes we can't even figure out the motives of our own hearts. And if we can't always even know why we do things, how could we possibly presume to know why someone else did something, what their motives are? 1 Corinthians 4 or 5 says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. It's up to God. God is the one who sees the heart. God is the one who knows what's deep within. And to be honest, God is the one who sees the heart and still loves us. And this leads me from the A, from ask questions, to S, which is surrender judgment. Guys, I know this is so hard. I think, I think sometimes without realizing, um, I want to be the one that convicts someone else of sin. And I have to remember that that is not my role. That is God's role. He is the judge. He is the one who is the omniscient narrator that knows the whole story and holds the whole story. And this is hard because you know what? It goes two ways, right? Not only do we have to trust God with someone else's story when, when we don't understand what, what they're doing, but we also have to entrust our story to God when people falsely accuse us. And this can be so, so hard because sometimes we just want validation. I'm like, I just want you to see my side. And sometimes we are not gonna get that. And it hurts, it's so painful. But I think about Jesus and I think about him and how he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he is on trial and people are hurling insults at him and they are falsely accusing him of all kinds of things. And yet the Bible says that he didn't retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And sometimes we just have to surrender, not just judgment of other people, but surrender other people's judgment of us to God and say, God, you see, you know, and I, I trust that you're holding me and you love me. It takes faith to give both our story and their story to God. So we have to A, ask better questions. We have to K, oh, sorry, S, surrender judgment. And K, we have to keep a mirror handy. We have to keep a mirror handy. I think a lot of times we need to learn to allow the difficult things we see in other people to almost be like a mirror for us to occasionally say, you know, I've definitely had this happen where I see someone else and they do something and I'm like, man, that's really annoying. And then I think for a minute and I'm like, I think I did that to my mom last week. You know, like, like allowing what we see in others to keep us humble. 
Now, I, I think for some of you here, there are some people here that, that you, may, you may listen to these messages and think, okay, none of this applies to me. I am like a perfect person, really doing well. Um, and if, if so, that's great. I'm so glad. I hope I can talk to you later and you can teach me your ways because I'm so, so far short of God's glory. But, um, but there's others of you in here that every week you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm the, that's me and that's me and that's me. I must be a terrible, terrible person. Listen, this is holding a mirror up to ourselves is not about guilt. It is not about, oh, constantly bashing ourselves and saying, I, I should be better, I should do more. That is not what this is about. God sees you and he loves you. The, the point of this is just to keep our hearts humble, to remember to take responsibility for our own actions. Matthew 7, 1 through 6 puts it this way. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I think this is just a sobering reminder. We, we don't judge others. We don't let other people's actions give us an excuse to treat them in negative or harmful ways. We cannot dehumanize others. We must listen to God and let him deal with our own hearts. Um, but I do want to wrap up by, by saying this. I, I know we've talked about how we can respond to people who are assumers and maybe even, or maybe more how we cannot be assumers. But what do we do? What do we do when we, when we run into people who make assumptions? When we run into even the bigots that, and the people that are, that are prejudiced or hurting other people? And I want to say, first of all, it is okay to stand against someone who's being prejudiced. It is okay to call someone out and to challenge that because that's one way that we stand with people who are being oppressed and who are being discriminated against. Jesus was a great example of this. Um, we look through, through the stories where he interacted with people when the woman was brought before him for an accused of adultery and everyone was ready to stone her. Jesus writes in the sand and he basically says, let the one without sin be the first to cast a stone. And in doing that, Jesus stands with the oppressed woman. He says, no, no, injustice here is not okay. Prejudice, bias is not okay. Or if you remember the story of, of a blind man that came to Jesus and, and people said, they made assumptions. He must have sinned. Either he sinned or his parents sinned and that's why he's blind. And Jesus said, no, no, neither. This happened so that God would be glorified. And God, Jesus at every turn would stand with people when when they were falsely accused or when the assumptions or bias or prejudice were brought against them. But at the same time, Jesus also knew when to walk away from a conversation. And sometimes that's what we need to learn as well. Sometimes we have to realize that, you know, at the end of this passage, it talks about don't give your pearls to pigs or they may turn and trample you. And there may be other translations or, or interpretations of that, but I almost think it's like sometimes we have to know if we keep in, in going in this conversation and we just keep, think, I'll keep going and eventually they're going to understand and eventually I'm going to win this argument, sometimes that person's just going to turn and, and just tear you, tear you apart and we have to know when to walk away. We see Jesus doing this as well. There was one fascinating story where um, basically the Pharisees came to him and they said, by whose authority are you doing miracles? By whose authority? And Jesus, you know, he could have given them a 10-point sermon right there. 
But instead, he asked them a question. He said, he said, well, by whose authority did John baptize? And he knew their hearts. He knew that they were afraid of what people thought and they would be really afraid to give an answer because if they said the wrong thing, people would get mad at them. And so instead they answered, we don't know. We don't know by whose authority. And Jesus said to them, okay, well then neither will I tell you by whose authority I do these things. And I feel like in, in, in his life, Jesus teaches us sometimes it's okay to just say, no, we can end the conversation. I know it's not going anywhere. I know this person's not ready for that conversation. So as we wrap up here today, I hope you rem- remember what it feels like when someone makes assumptions against you. And, I, and I'm just asking that God would reveal in our hearts the ways that we can be better listeners, better dialoguers, people who embrace other people's stories and perspectives. That we remember that we're only responsible for us. And ultimately, I want to just as we close out, remember to anchor ourselves in God. As Tom, Tom has so beautifully been reminding us throughout this series, we anchor ourselves in God's worth. We anchor who we are and our insecurities and, and what he says about us. And in the same vein, we must remember that when people accuse us, when people make false assumptions, our worth still is grounded in God. And we still remember that he's the one who owns the story and is writing a beautiful, powerful ending And he loves us and sees us and holds us. So we're going to end in prayer. And actually, um, Sherry, I consider to be uh, just a spiritual mother for me. And I would love if she would close us out today in prayer. Father, you're the one who sees. You're the one who knows. You know our hearts. You know the hearts and the stories of those around us. And you're the only one who can truly, genuinely help us learn how to connect, how to listen, how to value, how to forgive, how to use self-control, just how to listen to one another. Father, help us. Help us learn how to treat each other the way you treated everybody else. You see us. You know us. Help us see one another. Help us see what's in us that you need to correct or fix or heal or change. Give us teachable hearts. Give us teachable hearts so that we can love the way you love. In Jesus' name.